Jam Session is a podcast where two guys who grew up in Dallas-Fort Worth discuss sports, craft beer, life, and their experiences living in one of America's most vibrant cities. If you love sports, you're going to love this show. If you love craft beer or you're curious about it, you'll love this show. Great conversations with good friends is what Jam Session is all about. Welcome. It's nice to have you here. I hope you enjoy it. I think you will. You're listening to the Jam Session Podcast. I was told that I could listen to the radio at a reasonable volume. With Cowboys insider... What's your name? Jean-Jacques Taylor. That's my name. Radio personality and craft beer expert, Matt McLaren. He's a very strange young man. He's an idiot. Comes from upbringing. And now, the Jam Session Podcast. It is indeed Jam Session. Subscribe, rate, and review. Hang out with us for a while. Right here on the Jam Session Podcast. Sponsored, as always, by Greening Law, a personal injury law firm in Dallas, Texas. Greening Law fights the legal battle so you have time for healing and renewal. Also sponsored by Hector Flores with Modern Woodman of America, fraternal financial organization. He can help you plan for your family's future. But right now, that moment has arrived. We've all been waiting for it. Ladies and gentlemen, the radio, TV, and now podcast star, the sexy Jean-Jacques Taylor. What up, dog? I would be the non-sexy one, Matt McLaren. And this is Jam Session, the podcast version 160 asking simply that you prepare to be dazzled if not entertained we've got a loaded podcast on the way for you here we got to get into some cowboys they're back at it on the road in minnesota it'll disrupt all your halloween plans because they kick sunday night halloween night man we've seen some good cowboys games on halloween in years past so we've got that for you espn cowboys insider todd archer will be joining us at some point got a little peep show got to talk some college football because I just don't talk about it enough in my life. So we'll have all that for you. But before we get rolling here, do us a favor. We've got a couple of numbers you're going to need to write down. First off, you're going to want to keep this number handy. It's the number for Robert Greening, attorney at law, 972-934-8900. At some point in life, you'll be driving home and somebody will decide to just turn right out in front of you for no reason known to man. And you'll smash into the side of this person and you'll get out and your back will be killing you and blood will be spewing out of your hand and you'll be wondering what is happening to you. <laughs> and then the cops will come up to you and they'll go, oh, I was right there. I, I saw the whole thing. You'd be like, oh my God, thank, it's not my fault. I need help. And then you're going to go and you're going to call the next day, maybe a couple of days later. You're going to call Robert Greening and they're going to take your case and they're going to help you fight that legal battle against the insurance companies. Well, dude, the thing about it is, man, they're the best... I think, in what they do. And so one of the things they do is all it does is it doesn't cost you anything to pick up the phone and make the phone call to them and say, hey, green team, can you help me out? You tell them what happened to you, and they'll tell you. Hey, yeah, we can. We think it's a good fit. No, we don't. And then you go on from there. But the best thing about it is it doesn't cost you anything to pick up the phone and call the green team. And then once they take you on as a client, bro, they grind for you. Why? Because they don't get paid unless you get paid. So you never have to wonder just how hard they're working for you. That's exactly right. And, and they've represented clients. It's not just car accidents. I, obviously, that's my thing. And I had the car accident. But they've represented ki- clients from birth injuries to sexual assault cases to people that have been in, injured on the premises of a business, all kinds of different things. So give them a call. 
972-934-8900. Consultations are free. 972-934-8900. Robert Greening Offices, Dallas, Texas. Also, of course, Hector Flores with Modern Woodman of America. Another number that you should know. 940-453-3490. Like, why should I know this number? At some point, and I think it hits everybody at different phases of life, So maybe you're in your 20s right now. You're like, I don't need to save for the future. Okay. Well, maybe a few years from now, you'll decide that you need to. Or maybe you're in your 30s and you're like, you know what? I do need to start saving for my future. Whatever the case may be, Hector Flores with Modern Woodman of America, that's what he does. He will sit down. Oh, and by the way, it's non-fee-based, so it doesn't cost anything to meet with him. But he'll sit, he'll sit down with you and, and kind of go through those things and, and take a look and be like, okay, 401k, this is what you can do. Stocks and bonds, you can do these types of things. And a variety of other financial things, it basically comes down to making sure that you take care of yourself for the future and your family. Well, dude, the thing about it is, and, and you know, I know a lot of people have gone through it. You know, I'm in my 50s. I've got friends of mine trying to figure out. I started saving late, man. How can I get where I'm trying to go so I can retire at a certain age? Then I got youngsters, you know, in their 20s or 30s like my daughter. And you're like, hey, why don't you start saving now? You won't have to hustle at the end of when you're in your 50s or 60s. The thing about it is, man, Hector can provide a route for anybody to take to get what they want out of retirement at the end of the day. And so it doesn't matter if you started early, you started late. Give him a call and let him navigate a route for you then all you got to do is follow it. Yeah, that's really the way to look at it. And of course, with modern Woodman of America, it's a continuous cycle of positive impact because they combine a unique, really a neat combination of business and then giving back to the people they serve. Again, doesn't cost a thing to meet with them. So if you have some of those financial questions, give them a call. Hector Flores, 940-453-3490. So we'll get rolling here on the pod and came across this story. I I love The Athletic. I think you and I have talked about this before. I'm a huge athletic fan. I read The Athletic every day. I think it is the best coverage of college football stuff that's available on any platform. On Saturday nights and Sunday mornings, I probably read anywhere from 10 to 15 articles on college football. And it just offers a lot of information. Now, that being said, there are some guys that we know. I mean, some of the athletic writers actually, and perhaps oddly, work at the ticket in Dallas. One <laughs> of those is Bob Sturm, who has been doing this for a long time. And, you know, I, I've talked to Bob. I know Bob decently. And it's always blown my mind that he has kids and a wife. And I say that because he is sports Sturm 24-7. Yeah, he is. I mean, his ability to consume information, watch every game, I, I just, it, it's mind boggling to me and it always has been, but Bob has a weekly column in the athletic and today he dropped an article and I thought it was fascinating and really enjoyed it. And we were going to kind of talk about it with you guys. And it's called, the title of this was the fatal flaw. Is there a fatal flaw in the Cowboys offense in the red zone? And I think all of us, most of us are pretty well aware. And if you're not that, the Cowboys have struggled in the red zone under Kellen Moore. As a matter of fact, I think they're ranked like 24th this season. A couple of years ago, they were also ranked 24th, 25th. They move the ball very well. They have one of the best offenses. They put up a lot of points, but their red zone offense, oddly enough, is down towards the bottom of the league where you would expect, and I'm talking red zone touchdown percentage, Right. And it's one of those things where the Cowboys will get into the red zone. We see this time and time again. 
They go right down the field, get to the red zone, field goal, <laughs> which is a win for the other team. They're like, hell yeah, we stopped these guys. They only got, they only getting a field goal. No, I think it's a, um, you know, I think it's it's something that you have to solve, something that you have to fix, uh, because the difference between touchdowns and field goals in playoff games and in games against really good teams. You know, that's the difference between winning and losing the most, most of the time. Look no further than Cowboys only lost against Tampa Bay. And I think it's interesting to try to figure out where the flaw is in the Cowboys system. Um, and Bob came up with, I think, really three areas to really identify. And I would say another one is um, that because they have so many good players, um, it's hard to find an identity because you have so many options and so many choices. And that can be a problem uh, on really good teams where, oh, we got to get this guy to ball. We got to get this guy to touch. We got to get this guy to touch, this guy to touch. And in play calling, you can have so many options that it's hard to figure out one way to try to attack. Yeah, and it's really interesting because of all the things that the Cowboys do so well on offense and are amongst the elite in the league. And, and you know, there's a lot of creativity, of course, with what Kellen does. But when you start to get into the red zone touchdown percentage, right now, the Cowboys are 24th in the NFL. Now, oddly enough, Buffalo is 26th. But then you look at some of these other teams that are down here. You got the Jets. You got Washington. You got Denver. You got Detroit. You got the Colts. You got the Giants. Those are all the teams behind Dallas. You do not want to be in that company. And so the point goes back, and there's a couple of interesting things that he pointed out. And, and you talk about maybe too many options. And he kind of points to that, that as many great stars as they have, they don't have these great red zone targets like they used to have. I mean, we all know that one of the things that Des Bryant did better than anybody was in the red zone. And one of the things that Jason Witten did better than anybody was in the red zone. And they, they just have not had that. Amari Cooper has not emerged as that. And you look at the stats on this, since he's been here in Dallas in his 47 games, He's had 38 targets in the red zone, only 18 catches in the red zone, which is wild. Dude, that's uh that's that's a hell of a stat right there. That is a hell of a stat. <laughs> yeah. But you know he's such a precise route runner, but now work with me here. He's not like Dez in terms of being the physical jump over you, snatch right. it over your head, throw it to me, I'm covered guy which is often, you know, a tremendous weapon in the red zone. It is, and, and I think that's part of it. You know, Des would go right at you and would have no problem if he needed to just running you over to some degree. But, like, for instance, and this is also – and, again, Terrell Owens is one of the best that there's ever been. But you look at Terrell Owens, he was here for 47 games, same as Amari Cooper. In those 47 games, Owens had 31 red zone targets and caught every single one of them. 31 of 31. That's amazing. That's insane. (laughs) And I don't know what that says. You know, the fact that Amari Cooper has actually had more targets in the same amount of games and has 13 fewer catches than what Owens had. But it's, I don't know what it is. I, I don't know what it is for whatever reason that Amari Cooper, when you look at some of the red zone targets over the last 15 years that the Cowboys have had, Amari Cooper ranks towards the bottom in the red zone. It doesn't mean that he can't be, but maybe they, they should be focusing more on a CD Lamb or a Dalton Schultz or something like that. Yeah, I think that's part of the thing. You have to figure out why you haven't had the success you want. 
Um, I often tell my students at SMU when I'm when I'm talking to them about writing stories, it's always about the why. Always about the why. Why someone's having success, why someone is not having success. And this would be why the Cowboys are not having success. And you got to f- figure out the reason and then go attack it. You do. And, and so one of the other points he brings up, and this was actually very interesting as well, he, and I don't know if he considers it in, in this order, but too many running plays in the red zone. And so he breaks this down. The NFL average in goal-to-go situations, you run it about 51% of the time. Now, Dallas yeah. is sixth in the NFL at 55% of the time since Kellen Moore has taken over. But when you look at it in games in which Dak Prescott is the quarterback, so you eliminate the games of last year when he was injured, when they are in the red zone, Dallas runs the ball 63% of the time. Woo! That's a Bronco Nagurski stat right there. In, in a league in which passing is the way, and the Cowboys pass the ball very well, it seems very strange that they are that run heavy when they get down inside the red zone. I think it's all about Zeke Elliott and the offensive line. Remember, they've invested so much in the offensive line, essentially four first-round picks because they stole Lyle Collins, who would have been a first-round pick. And they've got this terrific running back who's been a two-time NFC NFL rushing champion. And I think that with the offensive line and the running back, they've just thought over the years they can just power the ball in. Yeah, I guess so, man. But And that's one thing that I wonder – if I mean Kellen Moore is very well aware of this and you wonder if they start to to see things like this and realize like maybe we are running it a bit too much maybe we do need to find a way to allow Dak and and maybe part of this is also that you're just now starting to realize that Dak is one of the top five quarterbacks in the NFL and that maybe when you were running it even two three years ago is different than the quarterback that you have in the red zone these days no I think that's a legitimate reason I mean Dak I mean put it like this Dak has continued to evolve. The offense in general, you can certainly tell, has continued to evolve. And now it's time for the red zone offense to continue to evolve because they understand this, man. They're not dumb over there. They understand that at some point it's going to hurt you in a big game if you're kicking field goals instead of touchdowns. It just is. It is, and we have seen that at times. It allows teams maybe to hang around where they shouldn't. But reality of it is, I and mean, when we look at this 5-1 and one Dallas team, and think about that, this is a 5-1 and one Dallas team that ranks in the bottom third of the league in red zone touchdown percentage. That shows you, you know, I'll go back to this clip, man, because I saw, you know, one of my favorite things is to listen to sounds off the bench or whatever they call yeah. it from the Cowboys game every week because it's phenomenal because they just hang around and pick up this great audio and then they make fun of it. So it's really cool. But it was it was Michael Parson on the bench talking about, look how good we are that we're still in this game against the Patriots. And so I think the Cowboys go, we're averaging 34 points a game, leading the league, and we suck in the red zone. What if we were good in the red zone? Could we average 40 points a game over a four or five game stretch? I'm here to tell you, bro, they could. They could. You're which exactly is, right. Which is insane in today's NFL. You're exactly right. And I think that that goes kind of what we're talking about here. You know, and sometimes, and I get it because people will, will get tweets. Cowboys are five and one. I mean, who cares? They're doing what they need to do. In, in, you know, it's like 
many of you know I do Alabama radio now, or I'm in Birmingham. It's not that I'm doing for the football team, but we do obviously talk a lot about the Crimson Tide. You see what happened on Saturday against Tennessee where they're hanging around in the game. Guess what happened on Monday? All kinds of calls to fire their defensive coordinator that you can't win because what do people do? Every fan of every team, if you're good, and, and this applies to the Cowboys as well, when you start to nitpick at it, you go, okay, you can beat the Eagles of the world and and, and you can thump right. teams of that nature. But like we're kind of talking about here, when you get into the playoffs and you've got to play Arizona or you've got to play Tampa or the Rams, all of a sudden your inability to get it done in the red zone is where it becomes a concern. You you might, hell, for all I know, they win their next five games and they're 10-1. and one. But if you get into the playoffs and you start playing the best of the best, that's where these nitpicky things really start to stick out a little bit more because you can't cover them up with being better across the board in all these other areas. Well, no, man. I mean, I think that's that's the whole deal, which is now that we have concluded, I like to say it like this, bro. Now that we have concluded that the Cowboys are a, are a real championship contender, they're one of the contenders. Now that we've concluded that's who they are, now, you can style point victories. You can nitpick victories because you're trying to play to a championship standard. And so everything you do is not compared to, oh, can you win the East with this? Well, yeah, you can win the East, but it ain't about winning the East. It's about winning a championship. It's about getting to the NFC Championship game for the first time since 1995 and competing for an opportunity to play in the Super Bowl. To do that, you got to play at a certain standard. Check this out, dog. Ain't no different than uh, y'all. Most of y'all know my my kid plays uh, linebacker for DeSoto, one of the top teams in the state. They won a game forty five. No, they won a game sixty two to fourteen the other day, or sixty two to ten against Waco Midway. And afterward, the acting coach, because Coach Claude Mathis is out with a, with an illness, the acting coach spent ten minutes after a fifty two point win saying. Fellas, we can't win in the playoffs playing like this in the second half. We got to be sharper. We got to do this. We got to do that. We can't have these kind of mistakes and these kind of penalties, or we're not going to have a long playoff run. What's he doing, man? He's saying this is not our standard playing this district game. Our standard is the playoffs and whether we want to make a run. So it ain't no different than the Cowboys, man. It's we want to make a run in the playoffs. We got to play to a certain standard. Yeah, that's exactly, I think, what the whole conversation is here that there is there is a problem in, in, in the red zone. And, you know, they, they get to play on Sunday night. They're going to play one of the top eight teams in the NFL. Minnesota is scoring when they get in the red zone a touchdown 66% of the time. And look, I mean, San Francisco's leading the NFL right now, 85%. Generally speaking, when you look at it, I mean, you can just go back to last year. The best teams in the NFL are going to be in there 70 to 75%. And then above average if you're 60%. But you go back to last year, and the best teams in the red zone, Green Bay, Tennessee, Seattle, Cleveland, New Orleans, Minnesota. Most of those teams had pretty decent seasons. Yes, sir. You got to put points on the board, and it has to be touchdowns, not the dreaded FG. Over the long haul, that's what it has to be, bro. I mean, it's not even optional. Over the long haul, you got to score TDs three out of every four times you're in the red zone. Otherwise, typically, there's some sad singing and some slow walking at the end of one of your most important games at the end of the year. No doubt. We've got some wild stuff to talk about in the block. But before we get to our trip around the block, as always, 
And again, I know you guys support our sponsors. We can't tell you how much we th- that means. We thank you as much as we can, and, and it helps to keep this thing going, man. So please continue to support our great sponsors. Much like, of course, Freeway Tire Shop. Freeway Tire Shop, where Jacques takes every single one of his 918 cars. <laughs> JR has worked on them all. And I think, and we've tried to portray this, there may be a shop closer to you where you're like, ah, oh, that one's more convenient. You are not going to find a mechanic shop anywhere in the DFW area that is going to give you better customer service or that you can trust like you can JR and his crew at Freeway Tire Shop. Bro, it is always about trust for me and the mechanic. I mean, seriously, it is. And I've never trusted a guy like this, except for a guy named Arthur that my mom went to when I, when I was in high school. Outside of that, JR's the first mechanic I've trusted like this, man. And here's what I'm talking about. You bring your car in with a problem. I trust him to figure out what the heck is wrong with it, man. Then I trust him to use quality parts to fix it. I trust him to charge me a fair price. And then I trust him to guarantee his work, bro. It's really that simple. But you'd be shocked at how many other folks don't do that. JR does, and that's why I'm a ride-or-die customer. It's JR, his crew, his guys there at Freeway Tire Shop. It's easy to get to, man. It's just north of downtown Dallas. You can't miss it. They're big fans of the podcast. He'll talk to you about the podcast. He loves talking Cowboys. Get on out there. They're local and they're family owned. You can schedule an appointment. You can request a quote right there online at freewaytireshop.com. Also, of course, HFX Foundation Repair. This is another one of those numbers. It's kind of like Greening Law and maybe to some extent Hector Flores with Modern Woodmen of America, but you may not need foundation stuff right now. You, you may hear this and be like, oh, I think my house is okay. And then one day you may wake up and you kind of notice like, wait a second. I swear those cracks haven't been here recently. <laughs> That's why you need to keep this number handy because you're going to want to call Aaron and his guys at 817-770-0174 HFX Foundation Solutions. Get them on the phone. Let them know what's going on. He's going to send a guy out. Somebody on his crew is coming out for a free inspection. And what they're doing there is making sure that those cracks, that soil wash out, those sloped floors are not a serious problem for you. And hopefully, if there is a problem, you caught it early enough to save yourself thousands of dollars in damage. Dude, I mean, we call it a colonoscopy for your house for a reason, bro. Because you want to get it done, man. And then if there's no problem, hey, it's all good, baby. You don't have to worry about it for a long time. And if there is a problem, chances are they've caught it before it costs you as much as it would if they caught it six months, a year later. That's why you want to do it, man. You want the peace of mind that comes with getting HFX HFX checking out your house. You do. Keep that number handy. It's 817-770-0174. Check them out online. I mean, they're A-rated with the Better Business Bureau. Their website is hfxfoundation.com. However you need to do it, but keep that number handy, I'm telling you. As soon as you start seeing those signs, call immediately. That free inspection, 45 minutes to potentially save you thousands of dollars. They'll catch those drainage and foundation issues early. HFX Foundation Solutions, 817-770-0174. So let's do this trip around the block, man, because I've got a couple of things I wanted to get into. One of these, and this is always one of those, man, they're actually both what if, like what would you do scenarios. Right. But the first one is one that I think anybody who's ever been to a game, you've thought about it if there's something on the line. And 
If you're not aware, Tom Brady the other night threw his 600th career touchdown pass on Sunday. He's the first player in NFL history to throw 600 touchdown passes. So that ball has a lot of value because that's never happened before. He didn't break anybody's record. He just became the first 600 pass TD guy ever. And so he throws the ball to Mike Evans. Mike Evans, thanks to his Texas A&M education, has no idea that this ball has any importance. Maybe he's just focused on winning. Uh, I don't know. Hard to say. (laughs) I mean, Mike Evans does have Mike and Evans tattooed down the back of his arms in case he forgets his name. Stop it, man. He does. I don't know. I'm just telling you. But I have no problem with Mike Evans. I mean, that dude won Johnny Manziel a Heisman. He should have given it to, to Mike Evans. But Mike Evans gives it to some guy in the stands. And we see this all the time. Players will roll over and, and toss a ball or whatever, and somebody in the stands, whatever. He got back to the bench. And, and if you've seen this clip of them coming over and be like, uh, you just gave away Tom Brady's 600 touchdown pass ball. So what this means is now the, the Bucks have to send somebody over to negotiate with this fan because if they give you the ball, it's your Like you own it and get to take it with you. It's yours, brother. It's a gift. Now, what's wild about this, and I don't know if the fan knew this at the time or not. I don't know how much I would have thought that the ball was worth. But auction sites say that it would have been at least, they, like they would have started the bidding at $500,000 for this ball. Woo, boy. So they negotiate, and here's what they negotiated, and the guy ends up giving the ball back to the Bucks so that they can give it to Tom Brady. He gets two signed jerseys and a helmet from Tom Brady a signed Mike Evans jersey, and a pair of his game cleats, $1,000 in credit to the Buccaneers team store, two season tickets for their next for their remaining four home games, and then season tickets for all of next season, which, in which they'll have nine home games. All of that together was valued at about $36,000 worth of stuff, or $466,000 less than the ball. <laughs> but my thing is like, so what would you do now? Tom Brady did say on the Manning cast last night that he's going to throw in one Bitcoin to this guy, and one Bitcoin is currently worth like $60,000. Right. I mean, it, it's, it, I don't know how that works, but it is what it is. Well, so he got about $100,000 worth of stuff. Yeah, well, I mean, it honestly depends on who the dude is. Like, and how, like for some people, if depending on how big of Brady fan you are, then the, the helmet and the jersey, like... It's priceless to you because he actually signed it. You you know what I mean? It's that part is priceless. But if you don't have that kind of attachment, you're like, hey, you know, I really dig this, but we need a bigger haul than that. Yeah, it was you interesting. Like I, I don't know, I don't know what I would have done. It, it's but it's 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 a it can be a dilemma because like, you know, yeah, you got the ball, but it's not you know it's not like baseball where it flew out to you and you caught it and something. Right. This was like a player gave it to you mistakenly, really, mm-hmm. and so you really shouldn't have had it at all. And so you end up with something when you couldn't have had anything. Now, initially, they offered him some bullshit, like one jersey and something else. Yeah, which is ridiculous. Uh, yeah. Now, when they came back, I thought they came correct, man. You know, maybe. I'm being real now. How many other jerseys signed do you want on the Bucks? You yeah, I mean, I mean and, and to me, I might have been like, cool, a jersey from Tom Brady, but game cleats, nah. I mean, in a thousand dollars credit, I want ten grand credit at the Buccaneers store, and I want season right. tickets for life. You know what? I, I think um, you know what, bro. I think I think that would have done it for me. 
I, I, you know, a thousand dollars away jerseys are eh, ten thousand, five thousand, twenty five hundred at the gift shop. Yeah, whatever. That's cool. But I think I think uh, for this, give me season tickets for life. Yeah, man, and, and reality of it is, and if you need to get, because you're not going to make it, Tom Brady and his wife combined are worth like $800 million. Right. So maybe I'd ask Tom, I'm like, oh, I mean, what's it worth it to you? Why don't you tell the Bucks take it out of my paycheck, and I get season tickets for life, and I'll give you this ball. I mean, you got $800 million, dude. What is that, a drop in the bucket to you? Yeah, um, and that would have been cool. Yeah, and I mean, reality of it is, I also would have... I mean, you could you could play with this big time, but you know, I I might have said, look, have Tom come over and ask me for the ball and everything we've agreed to, and I'll, I'll give it to him and be like, hey man, how much? Like, is this real important to you? And if he's like, yeah, I'd really appreciate it. But okay, cool, here it is. I like that, man. But I think it's I think it's the ultimate hypothetical because we can sit here and say what we would do. Yeah, and you just never know. The actual moment, you have no idea because you know there's a lot of pressure on you. When you're the person with the ball and the team official, you know, team representative comes over and says, hey, man, that's Tommy's 600 ball. Yeah. Can we have it? We'll hook you up. Don't worry. We got you. And you're like, I don't really want to be an asshole right here, but, you know, what does I got you mean? <laughs> yep. And, and, and you got to have it, it quickly. And, and, you know, if you didn't know the situation, maybe that guy didn't even know. And he's like, oh, wow. Um, man, what can I ask for? Like, I wonder what they'll give me. And that's how come I might have started like with something astronomically ridiculous just to see, you know, what are we gauging here? Like how much, like you seem to want this ball pretty bad. Like what's it worth to you? Dude, well, how about, how about a Tom, a Tom Brady jersey? Oh, so I can get that. Well, how about uh, season tickets for life? <laughs> Why not? Season tickets for life is good. Yeah. I mean, if you're that into the bucks, cause I mean, apparently that guy is, he had very good seats. Right. You know, I, I, I would imagine, I don't know how much it costs to sit in an NFL game right there on row one on the field. That's got to be a pretty penny. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'd have said, give me four tickets. Yeah, and, and I just want to come to games, and we'll call it even, and, and some credit yeah. in the shop. And See, that's when it's like, I mean, again. You know what? That's even good because let's keep it real. It's a tax write-off. You're not even really actually paying for them if you're the Bucks. Right. I mean, that, that it's so your mind just kind of goes down the rabbit hole on that one. Now, the other one. And I saw this from you because sometimes you tweeted something and I was like, what is that response to? So I looked at the original tweet <laughs> and I put this on Twitter <laughs> and I've gotten all kinds of wild responses ah! to it. What you got, man? Well, let's tell them the scenario first. Okay, so the scenario, and this became viral because some dude posted a video or a, a picture of it. I don't know what airline this is, but this woman sitting in the middle seat in front of him has her hair, which looks like it goes down to her butt. She has all of her hair over the back of her seat, spilling down right in front of him, all over his tray and everything on the airline. <laughs> and this has gone viral, as you might expect, because you first look at this, and you go, this is fake. Nobody would do that. And then you go, oh my God, this is real. Some person... <laughs> Thought they're the only person on the planet and actually Dude. believed it. Dude, when I saw that, man, my first thought was Matt McLaren would say, so you think you're the only person in the world. <laughs> it's you true. think the world revolves around you. Yes. And that your, your comfort in your living space is it takes paramount importance over everybody else, you selfish asshole. Pretty much, yeah. <laughs> now, I posted this earlier today. I've gotten 57 responses. 
Okay, hold on, hold on, hold on. The first thing I want to know is, what would Matt McLaren do if that happened? Well, I, I'll be straight up with you, and, and you know this. I would immediately, like, tap the woman and, like, reach between the seats and be like, hey, what are you doing? <laughs> <laughs> I would pay for that. No, like immediately. I, I mean, what that that and if and if I said, I mean, you can't do this. Like, what are you doing? If she continued to do it, then it, to me, I, that is her giving me the permission to do whatever the hell I want to her hair. I, I yanked that shit. Well, see, I thought about doing that, but probably what I would do is is put it in the in the in the tray. Well, there's that, but I think even better is I would just let her believe that I was a, like, oh, okay, sorry, and I would order like whatever I could and just <laughs> rub it all in her hair. You know, and if I had gum, I'd put the gum in her hair. I'd blow my nose in her hair. If I could figure out a way to take a crap in her hair, I would do that. Like, what? I don't, I mean, I mean, this is ridiculous. For somebody to do something like this in any situation, like I say, it blows my mind that somebody would do this. I mean, I can only hope that I had some sort of messy, disgusting you know, do, do I have Vaseline on me? Do I have <laughs> KY jelly? I don't know why I would have that, but if I did, I mean, whatever I could figure out to put in her hair would go in her hair. <sighs> Man, that's great. So <laughs> what responses did you get, bro? Oh, I've gotten a lot of people who say put it in, you know, the, the tray and, and lock it. One guy said I'd make her buy the seat behind her if you're going to do something like that. Several people said sneeze into her hair. Play with it, braid it, call the flight attendant. One guy says, depends how cute she is. <laughs> I mean, still, you know, a lot of people in several people, and I don't know if people realize this, you can't take scissors on an airplane. Dude. <laughs> several people are like, oh, I'd cut it. I, I, I'd have, I was like, what? When have you ever been like, oh, good thing I brought these scissors on this airplane? <laughs> Not any time in the last 20 years. No. So... One guy, this is a great one. I cobra spit when I lift my tongue. It makes no noise. I had a girl who sat in front of me do this in high school, and after five minutes of cobra spits, she started noticing her hair getting heavier. <laughs> that dude is nasty. I mean, what is that? That dude is nasty. One guy goes, do I have a pair of hedge clippers with me? You're on a plane. <laughs> no, you don't have hedge clippers, guy. What is wrong with these people, man? I mean, again, this is... This is not a hypothetical. This is legit something that happened. You are on a plane in the middle of the... Like this guy says, I don't pick my nose, but I would in this instance or just blow snot rockets in it. <laughs> I think fair. I told, anything to that point, if you have addressed with the person and you have you have tapped them on the shoulder and said, hey, excuse me, you know what, what are you doing? <laughs> and then if their response is asinine, then it's fair game. <laughs> I think it would be like out of line to just pull it immediately. I mean, you're just right. making a, a, a wrong situation worse in that sense. So I, I would just be like, I mean, and then based on her response, I might have some of the most fun I've ever had in my life. Yeah, I think uh, I think initially you just have to say, hey, excuse me, can you move your hair? I don't want it in my seat, in my personal space. And I think you start with that and try to make it positive because in your mind you're like, what kind of asshole are you? And then, you know, just kind of go from there. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it's, I, I don't even know. I can't, I cannot, I, I just cannot fathom this. This is one of the most bizarre things. Apparently, <laughs> I, I just Googled this to see if I could find more information about it. Apparently, there is another thing that happened, and this was published 
This was published yesterday at 10 a.m. <laughs> I'm trying to see. I think this is from it's from the the Sun. Isn't that in England? Yeah, that publication, I think so the London Sun, I think. Yeah, but so in there, this person went on TikTok, and it's another thing where this girl's hair is all over the seat like this, and they're putting gum in it and dipping it in coffee and whatnot. Dude, several strands were cut using nail scissors. Okay, you know, you know what, man? If I, this is just me, man, I realize this happens. I just can't fathom people who do that thinking that it's it's really their world and you're just living in it. It's just it's beyond my comprehension, really. It is stunning. It's stunning the lack of awareness that people have for other people. It really truly is. I mean, and again, and I bring this up all the time, but I just notice it more. It happens every time you go to the store where people can't believe you've chosen to go down the aisle that they're on. And they, you know, they won't get out of your way. They're pushing their cart down the middle or, and, you know, there's three of them and they're all just blocking it. And you, I mean, it's, it's colossally just, I I have a hard time absorbing it sometimes. And sometimes it's just comical. I mean, it happens in traffic. And again, keep that in mind. We all drive, especially in Dallas. My God, how many dumbass drivers are there? Those dumbass drivers go shopping and get on airplanes. (laughs) Dude, it's uh, it's it really can be amazing, you know. Man, I had the other day, and I saw it coming in traffic, and and it's gotten to a point now where where this guy was trying to zip in and out, and he he didn't have enough room to cut in front of me, so he almost hits the car in front of him in his lane, and he just looks at me, and he's all pissed off, and I just start laughing, and I'm like, I mean, so I'm supposed to because you're a dumbass. I'm supposed to completely slow down to allow you to have the road that you need? I mean. Yeah. Yeah, bro. Why wouldn't you do that? You know, I I apologize. (laughs) I mean, my God. But yeah, so, man, this thing, the hair on the plane is one of the the biggest ones I've seen in a long ass time. Well, you know, it's like, uh, you know. Was it Pete? You know, people like when I was on the plane the other day, and somebody lifted up the armrest. Like, what are you doing? Yeah, like, like why would you I, do that? I, I don't know. You like that? Guess what? The armrest is here for a reason. Now, if you're together, man and wife, child and parent, eh, brother and sister, okay, y'all want to lift it up, cool. But you just can't be lifting it up because you're you need a little more room and don't roll like that, dog. I don't want to be hip to hip with you. I want to be touching you. I don't know you like that. No, and it, it, it's always so interesting. Like, people always seem in a hurry for some reason. You know, it's the classic example of the guy who weaved in and out and, and blew through the school zone, and then you get to the next red light, and you pull up right next to him. Dude. And you're just going, I mean, what are you doing? And airports are horrible for that. I mean, people that get off the plane, like you were talking about, pushing and shoving, or you go to baggage claim, and somebody, like, is fighting for you, and then they're the one standing there last when their luggage comes out finally. <laughs> Like, guess what? Everybody's luggage is going to come out. You don't have to elbow people to dig your way through to make sure you're right up on the damn thing. I mean, it's... It's special. People are special. Hell yeah, they are. They're very, very special. (laughs) Now, yes, it, it, it obviously would be the best if there was somehow, some way that you did have scissors and you just were like, shink, and she'd be like, what are you doing in my hair? And, and I mean, I told you. I asked what I the asked. problem was. I asked you. 
I mean, I, I needed to clear that out because I was going to pull my drink tray down and have a drink. Yeah, dude, that's just insane, bro. Now, some guy did say pull out a lighter and light it on fire. I, I, again, you're on a plane. Yeah, you don't want to accidentally, you know, shoot the plane down yourself, bro. Yeah, because if you do that, chances are you're you're probably going to prison. Yeah, let's, I mean, you know, risk reward, bro. Let's, let's keep it in. All right. So the other thing I have here for you, and I don't know if you're a fan of hot dogs, but... There's more? Well, no, no, no. This isn't on a plane. Okay. This is just something else happening around DFW. So this is the legendary Chicago-style hot dog spot known as Portillo's is opening up its first one in Texas in early 2022 near Frisco. How do you spell Portillo's? It's P-O-R-T-I-L-L-O-S. Oh, just like it sounds. Yeah, and it's, it's straight out of Chicago, Chicago-based. It's never been in this area, and, and it's got – it's already in nine states, but they're beginning to expand. And, you know, Chicago-style hot dog is the one that has a bunch of stuff on it. It's like right. a burger, Pickles but with the hot dog kind of. onions. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then it comes with a sesame seed bun, I think. Right, right. It looks I had, good. I had a good friend of mine – Send me a picture of one last week and say, I know you said you don't like hot dogs, but you've never had a Chicago hot dog. You'd love yeah. this. And I go, no, I wouldn't because I don't like hot dogs and I don't like pickles. So I ain't interested. Yep, that would do and, it. <laughs> well, then she sent me a close-up picture of it said, but you haven't had this hot dog and these pickles. And I was like, if you don't shut up talking to me, we will cease to be friends. Fair enough, man. I mean, so apparently... The official Chicago-style hot dog is a steamed poppy seed bun and an all-beef frankfurter topped with yellow mustard, green relish, chopped onions, tomato wedges, a kosher-style pickle spear, a couple of spicy sport peppers, and a dash of celery salt. Okay, can I tell you what, bro? It's too much shit going on. Yeah, that's a lot. Uh, and this is just for me, okay? I'm not, uh, you know, if you wanted, want all of that, you know what, man? This was a classic Clarence Hill argument I had. And it's classic. And it, it's, it wasn't over a hot dog. It was over a hamburger. He had ordered a burger with everything on it. And I had done what I, what I often do. Not all the time. I basically ordered meat, cheese, bacon on the burger. And then I dip, if I'm, if I'm in the mood, I dip the bite that I'm eating in some ketchup and keep it moving. And he goes, that's the most ridiculous burger I ever had. You should want it juicy like this where you got the juices and stuff running down your chin. And it's, uh, I go, dude, that is gross to me. It's too many moving parts. It's too much going on. That's a lot. I don't like it. I don't like it messy like that. I like it simple and compact. And I like to taste the individual flavors. And when there's too much going on, it can get lost to me. So the hot dog, uh-huh. it's too much going on in there. Too much, too much, too much. Yeah, that that's a lot going on on a hot dog. I don't know. I haven't had a hot dog in I can't remember the last time. Bro. I'm never like, oh wait, I can't wait to eat a hot dog. Um, you know, man, I got off on I'm not I'm not telling you that it makes sense, okay? I'm not. I'm not asking you to be like me. I'm not. I was one of those dudes who did a report on hot dogs in the ninth grade. And I've probably had about five of them since then. I bet. I and bet. I, and, and, yep. and I'm not even joking, man. And a couple of times, the reason why I had them was I was covering the Rangers 
and it gotten extra innings or something, and you're yeah. at that point in the night where you're like, okay, I don't really want this hot dog, but there ain't shit else here to eat. It's, <laughs> That's it's the way it is, though. It's 11.30 at night. I haven't had Man. anything since 2 and 3 in the afternoon. Okay, I'm just going to go do it, all right? I don't, you know, I'm just going to go do it. But outside of that, bro, now you can tell me, well, sausage has got this in it and this has got... I didn't do a project on sausage. Otherwise, yeah. I might not have sausage. I did a project on hamburgers and bologna, bro. And I ain't had neither. I ain't had bologna since the project. And hot dog, I'm literally four or five times in the last forty years. Yeah, I can understand that. It it it's. I haven't had one in a long ass time. And but you know, my friend from Vegas made a point you know, of saying, "But these are all beef hot dogs." I said, okay. "I don't give a damn." Well, you, you de- if it's all beef, see, I'll eat a turkey dog. Like, like I actually, like, I eat turkey sausage and turkey bacon sometimes right. Like if I make breakfast. So I don't mind a solid turkey dog. I actually had, the other day, I had chicken sausage. That sounds fine to me. Yeah, and I thought that was pretty damn good. I was like, man, but what else is in the sausage? I don't know, but it was good, and it was chicken. Yeah, yeah I ain't mad at you about that. So there you have it. Actually, one of my favorite things to cook with is ground chicken. Yeah, I'm a big fan. That, that, ground chicken is very underrated, I feel like. Yeah, like I was ground turkey, but it's so dry. But ground chicken, you got the flavor, and it's a, it's, it's a little juicier, a little more, a lot more flavorful than ground turkey, and the caloric stuff is just about the same. Well, that was a fascinating trip around the block. All kinds <laughs> of just wonderful information for you. <laughs> right, right. I sent my friend from Vegas a uh, thing about Portillo's. I'm waiting to hear what she has to say back. Okay, that'll be very interesting. Now I'm waiting to hear, but before we get to Todd Archer, talk a little Cowboys, let's tell you about Smokey John's Barbecue. Have you been? Did you finally? Which one of you is the one that went out there and got the jam session bowl this past week? (laughs) Because, man, we have gotten some messages. We have gotten several of you that continually go and, and check it out and pick up that jam session bowl, which you know by now is only available to jam session podcast listeners. And what's funny was I think it was somebody on Twitter that sent a message. Maybe it was on our Instagram. I was trying to see. Uh, I think it was Twitter, but it was somebody who had sent a picture of it and then had said when I ordered it, literally everybody in there, like 10 people in line were like, what is that? We didn't see it on the menu. (laughs) And it's, it's not on the menu. It's the secret menu, only available to Jam Session listeners, the Jam Session Bowl. It is your choice of their made-from-scratch mac and cheese or mashed potatoes. You top it with your choice of two different meats, and then you can get the toppings on it, the, the cheese and the onions, the sour cream, what have you, real bacon bits, and then they're going to drizzle that Smokey John's barbecue sauce right on top. And it's that simple, man. It's only for Jam Session listeners. Like, if you don't listen to the podcast, you would have no idea that this even exists. Dude, it was it was fantastic, man. You know, I had it for the first time uh, last week. It was delicious, man. Uh, the woman came out and was like, you want to work, son? And I was like, yeah, hook it up. And uh, it was truly, truly, truly delicious. I did it with sausage and brisket. But, you know, there's one of five meats you can add to it. I say go check it out and give it a shot because once you go Jam Session Bowl, you'll never go back. So here it is. It was Jared on Twitter. I finally got to go to Smokey John's Barbecue to try the Jam Session Bowl, and OMG, didn't think anyone would ask what I was getting, but in this, this is in capital letters. The entire line asked me, what is that? <laughs> 10 out of 10 delicious, definitely coming back soon. 
Dude, it's fantastic, man. That's yeah, that's one of the best things we've done there. It is. It's 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 awesome. It's Smokey John's Barbecue. Keep supporting those guys, man. Local, family owned. And keep in mind when you order the jam session bowl, you get the complimentary drink along with it. It's it's phenomenal. It's some of the best barbecue you're going to have. If you don't live in the area, and I know several of you have reached out that don't live in the area. I heard from a guy that lives in North Carolina the other day, somebody in central (laughs) Florida got a message from him the other day. If you're not in the area, but you listen to the podcast, you can go to smokyjohns.com, click on Smokey's Market, and you can order their sauce or their rub, and they will ship it to you wherever you live. So if you want a taste of it, I would do that, and you can get it no matter where you happen to live around these fine United States. It's Smokey John's Barbecue. If you are in the DFW area, it's over there by Lovefield Airport off of Mockingbird, not too far on the east side of I-35. Let's check in with our ESPN NFL Nation Cowboys reporter. He's been doing it a long time and, as always, brought to you every week by our friends at BlueStarMotorGroup.com. Todd Archer joining us here now this week. And Todd, the bye week is over. The Cowboys at five and one getting ready for that road trip to Minneapolis to take on the Vikings this weekend. You had the news not that long ago that Brent Urban and Maurice Canada have been placed on IR. That means they're out at least three games. How does that affect their defense and what's the plan to replace those guys? Yeah, but with Urban it's a it's gonna sound worse than it is. It's a partially torn tricep. Um, so he's out at least three weeks and, you know, if it was torn, his season would be over. So they think that the rest will help him with that one. And Kennedy has a concussion that, uh, has been described to me that it's pretty bad. So, uh, they're just being careful and, um, monitoring him and, and, and how they go forward w- with him. And with, I'll start with Kennedy and higher replacement. To me, the obvious pick is, well, now you got Kelvin Joseph, who's been back for a couple of weeks practicing, on the field doing some things at, coming off of a, I think it was a groin injury he had in, in training right. camp that ended his season, uh, ended his preseason early. So he would probably be the most likely candidate to move up and, and, and take that spot. As for Urban and what they do, do you go like to like on defensive linemen? So you call up somebody from the practice squad to fill his spot up or is Michael Gallup ready to come back? And you can use that roster spot for him. Um, so, there, there are uh, a number of ways you can go w- with that one, and I think we'll, that will probably play out more during the course of the week. But I would think with Kennedy, you, you need another defensive back uh, just for coverage, and I don't mean coverage on the field, just to have enough uh, getting you through a game. So, uh, I, And maybe at defensive line you can mix and match it a little bit better. But Urban's been one of those underrated guys, I think, who's played pretty well when we don't really talk about him. And the run defense is doing pretty good. Dalvin Cook's healthy. You know Minnesota's going to run the ball. Uh, he could be an absence that you're probably not thinking much of right now, but maybe Sunday or Monday morning with a Sunday night game, you think a little bit differently. Yo, bro, what's been your impression from the start of uh, Boss Man Fat, Calvin Joseph, cornerback, Kentucky? <laughs> <laughs> Way to spell that out. I appreciate it. Um <laughs> I haven't had an impression of him because we've not really seen him do much, right? I mean, he wasn't available uh, during portions of the spring because he was sick. And then in training camp, he he had a couple of good days, but it wasn't like he was going to beat out Anthony Brown and then he gets hurt. So um, 
up in the air, I would say, or, or you know, up and down maybe is probably the best way to describe it. And, you know, they're not going to ask him to come in and say, all right, we need you to play 50 snaps a game on defense right now. It could happen depending on who else they were to lose. But uh, they can kind of work him in as a special teams guy, I think, was what, what they talked about, what, what Al Harris talked about last week when we got the assistant coaches that make you make your way on special teams, get used to the, the speed of the game, the speed of the week, practicing, all that kind of stuff, and then kind of see where you go from there. Um, I, I'm not going to – I don't want to sit here and, like, make huge – statements off of what we saw in the preseason because everybody, well, there's a bust on second round and Nation Wright's better than him. Blah, blah, blah. I don't think we've had an opportunity to see enough of the kid yet to honestly make an assessment of him. Uh, What's... And through some of it injury-wise and some of it when he's played, it's, you've not noticed him. I was wondering if what's the, uh, what's the mood in the building about him, if there is one? I could lie and kind of think what give you what I think they're thinking. I've not really asked a lot about Bossman Fat to be honest with you because <laughs> he's not been on the radar. I mean, Trayvon right. Diggs has played so well. Anthony Brown has done a decent job. So has Jordan Lewis. That you know, but but I will say this: like when everybody says, "Oh, they need to go get cornerback help," and and they, I think in the Cowboys' mind, they made their investment a second rounder in Diggs, a second rounder in Joseph. That if it's not a 2021 answer with Joseph, that it's the 2022 answer going forward um, right? With, with the investment they put on. I, I don't think they're down on him or, or ready to say, well, that was a mistake by us by taking that guy because they do see the – they saw ball skills uh, when he was at LSU and he was at Kentucky. And look, you look – you give them a little bit of a benefit of the doubt with how they've drafted lately. You say, okay, eventually they're not going to hit on everybody, but you know, hey, give the kid some time and see what he can do. Obviously, Is that a truthful enough answer, right there. <laughs> yeah, man, I appreciate that honesty. Bring that fire. Bring That's that what we fun. need, Todd. So hell yeah, <laughs> Dak Prescott. I think he told you I don't know what they're thinking, so I appreciate the <laughs> well backing up. Yeah. We know that we're not going to know much about Dak because we're recording this on a Tuesday. So by Wednesday, when some listen to this, we may have a better idea. But at least from what everybody seemed to be saying, Monday at the Star, he didn't have a boot on. He was walking, looked normal. I did think it was interesting because you had the tweet, I think, on Sunday of Stephen Jones basically admitting that they, if they didn't have the bye this week, that it, it actually might have been a problem for the Cowboys had they had if they had to play last Sunday. Yeah, and... That's not surprising, right? Just because, and, and you know, there's also a different ways that you would treat the injury if you if you would have had a game last week, getting ready, and you maybe would have been more aggressive or or done some different things that you're doing when you know you're not playing for two weeks. So there's an element of that in the equation of whether he could have played last week or not. But you know, you listen to Stephen Jones, and he's saying we we. In Dak's mind, he's playing this week. You listen to Jerry on the flagship. He feels better about this calf injury than he did the shoulder injury. And, and we, we know how the Cowboys ultimately felt about the shoulder there. There wasn't going to be that big of a deal. So, you know, maybe they dodged something here. But, you know, Zach Martin is a guy who had a calf strain last year. And I'm not comparing what a quarterback has to do to, to a, a guard having to block 300-pound guys running at you. But he said, look, it can feel great. It can feel great. And then the guy pushes on you and it pops. And it doesn't feel good. So there, there's an element of that with Dak. Like, yeah, he might feel good when he's doing some things, but when it's uh, in the moment, for the moment, heat of the game decisions that you got to make, 
you might feel it uh, going forward, you know, as you're trying to plant, as you're trying to really push off, as you're trying to get back from center. You know, there, there's a lot of different things that calf can kind of pop up and grab you. But the expectation as of Tuesday is I think we'll see him play Sunday. And, I, you know, but I think this is going to be the classic be listed as limited throughout the whole week and just carry a element of doubt and list him as questionable just because you can, even though you think he's going to play. Uh, what do you think about the matchup against the Vikings? It's one that I've always looked at as trouble this year just because their offense has the ability to attack in a lot of different ways. It's a little bit like the Cowboys offense, right? I mean, they can run yeah. it uh, when, when they're all healthy, and they've got multiple uh, guys on the outside that are threats, just like the Cowboys. And you look at Thielen and Justin Jefferson. So, um, And Cousins, you know, I, I think – we saw him play for Washington for so many years. They were like, ah, he's just a guy. He's not, but I mean, heck, he can't he put up some good numbers. Um, you know, he, he's number statistically, he's, he's, he's a solid to very solid quarterback. So, uh, th- this is a, I, I don't know what the right phrase is. Like we can always call games. Oh, that's a trap game. Or this is a season defining game, but this is, I think you're right though. Th- th- in the fact that like, this is a huge game for the Cowboys because, you're coming off the bye. You're feeling good. You have momentum going. You want to maintain that momentum. Um, they won in Minnesota last year. That was like the one game that McCarthy felt like where everything kind of started to turn around for the team in, in terms of play style and things like that. Um, the defense is a little different looking personnel-wise than it was a year ago. But this, this isn't like a, hey, just roll out there and you're going to win this one. This is going to be a tough game I, in, in my view. And if if you look at the rest of the schedule, you'd put this one. I guess you still have to say Kansas City, Arizona. Those are the biggest games that you would say, like, all right, if they were to lose that one, these ones it wouldn't be that surprising going forward. The rest of them, I think you say you can you you put the pencil next to it and you put W, right? I mean, yeah, there'll yeah. be a division game that they're going to lose, but this is one of those games where you can look back at the end of the year if they win this one and say okay, this is when they're for real. They went on the road after a week off, and, and Minnesota had to buy two, but they answered some more questions. And I think that's where this team is at, where you're closing in on this being just a math equation as to not just making the playoffs, where your playoff standing is going to be when you win games like this. Yeah, absolutely. You know, when you look at Minnesota, it's interesting because I think it was easy for people to go, oh, they're one and three, they're not that good. But you look at their three losses before they beat Detroit and Carolina – they lost on a field goal in overtime to Cincinnati, so they lose by three to a 5-2 and two Bengals team now. Arizona's undefeated, and I don't think people realize this. They lost by one point to Arizona on the road in Arizona, and then, of course, only lost by a touchdown to the Browns. I mean, yeah, they're, they started 1-3, and three and they're 3-3, and three, but this is a, a Minnesota team that's, quite honestly, two plays away from we're talking about a 5-1 and one Minnesota team, so... I do expect, like Jacques said, with Jefferson and Thielen and Dalvin Cook, and as you mentioned, Todd, Kirk Cousins has this reputation of just being a crappy quarterback, but I don't know that that Minnesota needs him to be elite, and he can be an average quarterback with the weapons they have. This is a team that can, if, if you don't bring it, they can, they're capable of winning this game. Absolutely. And, and look, you know, as much as we can state the case, hey, the Cowboys should be 6-0, if not for a couple of missteps against Tampa Bay, like we could say, well, they, they, maybe they could have lost 
All right, who could they have lost to? Maybe, maybe I'm not making a good argument here. But I guess Patriots. my point is, yeah, the pa- right. I mean, that's an overtime game, and they they had a hundred and some odd yards and penalties, and 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 really had five five hundred and sixty seven yards on offense, mostly because of themselves, because of all the penalties that they had, um, and, and and they took advantage of New England. I'm not, I don't mean to minimize that, but I mean that tells you how close these games are. I mean that. The Bengals, yeah, they're they're five and two. Well, they lost a game against Green Bay that they probably should have won. And Green Bay, everybody's sitting there. Oh, they've won six in a row. They're gonna they're they're among the NFC elite. So, and if you know Minnesota played them close, it's a facto whatever whatever whatever. All these teams are close. Is basically what we're saying, right? And none of these things are gonna be walkovers right. unless you're in the NFC. And, <laughs> and you know this is a it's, it's going to be loud. It's going to be a team that they've won two in a row. They want to start getting on a roll. They're in a division that, okay, Green Bay might be pulling away, uh, depending on how they play Thursday. So they, they're in a position where they need to start winning because you know what the rest, how everything else is shaping up for wild cards and the rest of the, the conference. So this is as big a game for Minnesota as it is for the Cowboys in, in a lot of ways, maybe even bigger because – Heck, the Cowboys got a three and a half game. The Cowboys can lose all their games between now and the end of the month, uh, end of November, and still be in first place in the division, right? Yeah, yeah, that's true. <laughs> as wild <laughs> as that is, but that, I mean, that speaks to how bad that the NFC East is. I mean, Washington's way worse than I think anybody figured they would be, especially their defense. But I was going to ask about Michael Gallup, and I know that they've activated him, and they've got the three weeks to see if he's going to come off the IR or not, but. Have you heard anything about that? If they have any expectation that he'll be ready to go in the next week or two? I, I think there's a chance he could go this week. Um, it, it, because it was strange that they would have started the window when they did, if he's not ready to, you know, give him a couple of days of practice this week. The, the good news is they they don't need to have him ready to go and play this week. Absolutely. Positively. So they, they can work him back in, uh, in, in a, a smart manner or, or a, healthier manner to where you're not rushing you're not rushing a guy but where you feel the need to get the guy out there and play him right away and maybe when you do bring him back you're splitting his snaps with with Cedric Wilson um they they feel good about where he is but I don't, they don't need to rush it because of where they are in the season where they are offensively and where they are with the rest of that position group I mean Noah Brown made some good plays against New England we all know what Cedric Wilson did on the fourth down catch and heck on the game-winning drive I think it was the game-winning drive in overtime. Dak threw a deep ball to Malik Turner. Like, what are they doing throwing it to Malik <laughs> Turner? Like, talk about trying to catch somebody sleeping. Uh, you're running out and up with him, and that 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 one surprised me. So they, they clearly feel good about their receiver group. That maybe they don't need to to put Gallup in right away, but I, you know, well, they're a better team when he's out there. Clearly, um, how do you think this secondary holds up? And is Anthony Brown playing good, bad, or average? Well, a good and average the same thing? No, nah, average is just kind of average. Like, you know, average is a C and good is like a B. Okay, so now we know how Jacques grades his paper. The fifth <laughs> you damn, uh, damn skippy. There it is. <laughs> I would say he's been between good and average, right? I, he, so is he B so minus or plus? is he C plus? Yeah, C plus, B minus. What's the, you know, B's and C's get degrees. The where I'm coming from. And he's, <laughs> so he's, he's been, he's been good enough. Um, you know, Al Harris 
last week when we talked to him, we was talking about how well he's playing and how consistent he's been in his coverage. And, yeah, you're going to give up some plays, but he does a real good job of sticking to his guy and making tackles. It's hard when you're playing opposite a guy with seven picks right? for anybody to think you're doing anything well because it's just going to be, well, how come you don't have as many interceptions as that guy? How come you're giving up plays? And, and corners get beat. I mean, we, we saw Diggs get beat five seconds after he had the pick six. So it, I, I think he's been fine. I, I, I'm always – maybe it's because he's been there since 2016 and he came in and played right away as a rookie. But, like, Anthony Brown seems to be one of the guys that fans of this team just don't like for reasons that I don't really understand. He's a six-round pick who's outperformed any expectations anybody could have possibly had. And he's a solid – how about that? Maybe yeah. solid is between good and average. He's solid. Okay. And that's, and I think he's been solid. What do you make of the Cowboys' red zone struggles this year? Jacques and I were talking about that earlier, and it's been kind of a thing the last couple of years, obviously. But even this year, as explosive as this offense has been, they're 24th in the NFL in touchdown percentage. What do you attribute to that? Yeah, I, yeah. and that's not a this-year problem, right? We, we've yeah. talked about that for years, even when – Hecklin Garrett was calling plays back in the early 2010 and it continued with Linehan and it, conti- and it continues now a little bit with Kellen. And, you know, we're conditioned to think that the best teams in the red zone run the ball into the end zone. That was like one of Parcell's staples that he taught us, right? Doc back in the day. Right. And, and that might have been true back in the day. Right. And now, and there was an element, I think, of when Dez was at his height of, well, let's throw the fade to Dez. Goal, you know, inside the five-yard fade, why are you making 50-50 decisions, even if it's a guy like Dez? And, and I don't think they have a, a Dez type of guy on the outside as good as Amari and CDR and even Gallup when he's healthy. So it doesn't make sense when you look at the collection of the talent because the way Zeke's running the ball has been really good. Their tight end production, you can't argue with what Schultz and, and to a lesser extent, Jarwin have done. Schultz is on pace for a thousand yards a season. And clearly, we, we saw what CD and Amari have done throughout the year. So it doesn't make sense other than the fact that, like, it's, if you score that touchdown against Tampa where Jarwin just makes the block, if, you, if Pollard doesn't cut a, Oh, that was a two point play. What was the one in New England? There was another. If Dak on the goal line two goal line quarterback sneaks get stopped, right? Right. If you convert those, you go from being 24th, is that what you said, right? 24th? Yeah. You're probably up to 12th, 10th. So, I mean, it really is a matter of inches when you get down into the red zone of of where things come down. I, I don't I, I don't think it's a Kellen isn't good at calling plays down there or Kellen gets cute. Uh, I think there, there can be an element of that at times for everybody. But it's something that if this team wants to be truly elite offensively and not only just offensively, but as a team in the, in the conference and in the league, they've got to improve a whole heck of a lot down there. And, and, and they, they can't waste these opportunities because you're eventually going to face better teams. You're eventually not going to get the takeaways on defense. And, and these games are, are not going to be – you can't settle for field goals. I mean, I'm, now I'm really breaking news there. I know. I, <laughs> I, I, I wish that, but I wish I could put my finger oh. on it to say, well, they just need to do this because I do think they're trying different things. They've, they're trying to spread them out. 
They try to they try to go heavy with McGovern. They do all these different things. I, I just think for for this year, you're talking about three plays that well he scored against Philadelphia, and they didn't call it a touchdown. Right, we're, we're strange yeah. replay yeah. review there. Yeah. He scored on third down against New England, but there wasn't a review there. And then you know, blame Jarwin, blame Zeke, blame them both for the Tampa play. Let's three more touchdowns out of however many red zone opportunities they had. And and it's a little bit different story than you're talking about with their their red zone execution. Fair enough. I'll buy that. I'll buy that. Yeah, fair enough. All right, so the Cowboys get it done on Sunday. They're going to beat the Vikings? Yeah, I mean, I, I might be done ticking against them until they lose again, right? I mean, you kind of get – because it's just – for the people that are listening – when we all do our picks for these games, and Matt, you hey, might be don't take them behind the curtain, Matt. I mean, Todd, no, don't take them behind the curtain. My name's Todd. Man. Thanks. All yeah, white don't guys take them behind the curtain. The same. Yeah, jeez, man. Wow, you've been but, waiting 40 years to say that. <laughs> God. <laughs> so, I'm taking them behind the curtain, Doc. We spend about 35 seconds. Matt does it. Matt, Matt puts the time. We spend about 35 seconds into, oh, who's going to win this one? And you try to come up with a reason why, why not? And then you go with it. There's no rhyme or reason to like, I hate this team. I love this team. So when you get grief, like, you know, last when I, when I picked the Patriots to win, people are killing me. I'm like, God, if they only knew, like I spent about 45 seconds trying to figure this out. And I just thought <laughs> the Patriots aren't going to lose four in a row at home. I, you know, I've seen the Cowboys not play well in that stadium too many times. And guess what? It went to overtime. It wasn't like they just dominated them anyway, right? I mean, and, and I took 28-26 Patriots. Well, they almost won the game 29-26, if not for, for a last-minute drive by the Cowboys. So, I mean, yeah, I'll, I'll pick the Cowboys this week, and I'll probably pick them. That's what I probably did in 16 as well when they got in that 11-game winning streak. I'll just keep picking them until they lose, and then I'll change my mind, and then we'll figure it out after that. That's what I like to hear. So 17 in a row or whatever it is left, 12. 11. Well, yeah. Well, well, they're not going to. You think they're going to win them all? I mean, you got to pick them all. Why not? You might as well. No, no, you no, got to no, pick some no, no, team. No, no, no. Whoa, whoa, okay. No, hold on. But you think they're going to win the rest of their games? They're no. going to go 16 and 1? No, I don't think okay. that. So I don't think what, that at all. all right, let me, hold on. I know we got to go, but screw this. Hey, it's a podcast. What? We ain't got to do nothing that we don't want to do. Well, you guys usually kick me off around 24 minutes, so. Yeah. Uh, no, we like to What's their by week. What's what, What's their final record? What, Jacques, what did you pick at the beginning of the season, and what are you picking now? And then, Matt, you do the same. Uh, my suspicion and is the best, I can, the best I can remember is I picked 10-7 and seven to start the season. I think I would go with 13-4 and four right now. Yeah, because I – Matt, you went 17-0. and 0, Now you're going 16-1. <laughs> no, I said 11-6 and six when we were going through it to begin with. It was either that or 12-5 and five to start, but – I kind of look at that. I feel the same. I think 14 and 3, 13 and 4 is very possible because Kansas City's not what we thought they were. You know, obviously Arizona right now, but you get them at home. Outside of that, I got, yeah, I mean, if I wanted to be crazy, I could make a case they could win them all. I don't think they will, but I wouldn't be surprised if they only lose two or three more times. I'd actually be surprised if they lost more than three more times. Yeah, and I was 9 and 8, 10 and 7 at the start of the season, and now I'm probably like, 12 and 5, 13 and 4. And, and that, yeah. you know, 
that sets you up for Aaron Rodgers in the divisional round of the playoffs. Yep, sure does. <laughs> in Lambeau. <laughs> right. So that'll be great. Just what we need. Hey, man, these Cowboys ain't, ain't scared to go to Lambeau and kick their butt. Well, I don't want to do hang out at McCarthy Farm. I don't hang out at McCarthy Farm. I'd rather have to play Tampa Bay five times in a row in Tampa than have to deal with Aaron Rodgers in the playoffs again. But that's just me. All right. Thanks, Todd. We appreciate it. All right, 24 minutes and 10 seconds. So we're right on the 24-minute mark. Yep, see, Woo! there you go. It was a great conversation. <laughs> it flies by. It does. All, All right, right. Uh, talk to you next week. See you, right, Talk to you next week. All right, there he is. That is the greatness of Todd Archer, who is – he joins us every week, and every week he's always brought to you by Blue Star Motor Group, bluestarmotorgroup.com. If, if you are looking to buy or sell, but if you've got a car need and, and it's time to upgrade or make a move vehicle-wise, if you are not considering Blue Star Motor Group, my thing is this. I would contact Blue Star Motor Group no matter what and just have a chat. 817-881-4066. Because to me, if you don't at least make that call, if you are in the market for a vehicle and you're not talking to Blue Star Motor Group, then you really just don't care about throwing money out the window. <laughs> hey, man, the thing about Blue Star Motor Group, and I've worked with uh, Deb and Mike, is that they they are trying their best to create a win-win scenario. Win for them. Went for you. Everybody happy when all the paperwork is done, man. And to me, that's rare, man. I think when most of us deal with car dealers, we expect them to try to win and we'll see if we can stay in the game. It ain't the way with them, man. They don't have a lot of overhead, and so they pass those savings on to you. It's a win-win deal. And Deb ain't got no middleman. She can make a decision right now. Text her. Say, hey, this is what I like. This is what I want. This is how much money I got. Can you give me something? Make a deal with her now. Yeah, make it happen. I mean, and again, I'm serious. If you are looking for a new vehicle, you need to give them a call and get in touch with them so that they can help you out because they're going to give you a better deal than any dealership on the planet. I can promise you that. 817-881-4066. For instance, they've got this one. It's pre-owned, Carfax certified. They they have vehicles of all makes and models. They've got a 2014 Audi S4. It's a four-door S-Tronic. They have it. It's got about 60,000 miles on it. They have it for less than $28,000, an Audi S4. Like I said, they're trying to make a win-win scenario, man. And that's all you can ask for, bro. That is a slick-looking ride, too. Somebody go get this one, I'm telling you. It's on their website, bluestarmotorgroup.com. I was telling a friend of mine that today because they've got a vehicle there where they think that they're not sure if they're going to sell it or not. And I said, well, I'll tell you this. And I sent the information. I said, before you do anything, if you are going to sell, you need to contact Blue Star Motor Group because they will also offer you more cash for your vehicle because, again, they don't have that overhead. It's Deb and her husband, Mike. That's it. I mean, they own the company. They make the decisions. So make sure you get in touch with them, bluestarmotorgroup.com. So we move forth here, and we haven't done a peep show in a while. And so we're going to get into that. And this is just the stuff we've been peeping on TV as everybody streams everything these days. I mean, jumping around from, oh, got to watch this on HBO Max to, oh, need to renew Hulu for this or, oh, what's Disney Plus doing? I mean, it's everywhere. Well, everybody has Netflix. I mean, Netflix is the goat of streaming. And there is a show on Netflix that released not that long ago. And it's been the number one show on there for a while. It's called Squid Game. I initially watched the preview for this, and I was like, that looks about as dumb as I can possibly imagine. (laughs) I have zero interest in that crap. 
Well, then you kept reading about it and seeing people talk about it. And I was like, man, what am I missing here? Like, maybe there's something the preview gets into that I'm just. So I start asking around about it. And some guys at the station asked me about it. They're like, hey, have you watched Squid Game? I'm like, no. Right, right, right. They're like, oh, dude, you got to check it out. I'm like, what? I mean, what is it? And so they explain it to me a little bit and they go, oh, but it's in Korean. So it's dubbed over. And I was like, oh, no. I was like, okay. And then I go, well, there is there nudity? Is there violence? Like, what's the bit? <laughs> and this one guy goes, oh, dude, it is super violent, like crazy violent. I was like, oh, okay, cool. I'll check it out then. So then you find out the story comes out that it is the number one show ever in the history of Netflix. Wow. Like That's for it for That's like its, its debut or whatever. Like it's been downloaded right. more within a certain amount of time than any show they've ever put out because it's a worldwide bit. It, it's in Korean. So we start watching it. We get two episodes in and I'm I'm like, man, if I never saw this show again, I just would never care. This show is horrible. <laughs> the acting is horrible. The script is god awful. And the dub over voices are comically bad. So then I tweet this out and I get a ton of people, you know, it's you have to listen to it in its original language. So you get the emotion of the characters and you can read the subtitles. You have to do subtitles. Like I had so many people reach out for the subtitle bit. I was like, okay, well, I'll, I'll try that. And you know, a lot of the times I don't generally like doing the subtitle thing because I would just read a book if that's what I wanted to do. But my problem with subtitles a lot of the times is you read and then you immediately look up to catch what the people are doing. Right. right. So you have to read it super fast. And, and I find that you can get a headache doing that if you if you watch too many in a row. I will admit. Since we went to the Korean version with the subtitles, it is better but it's still not like it still blows my mind. People think this is good acting. Like I, I feel like there are there are scenes in every episode where I feel like I'm watching a high school theater workshop. <laughs> is it that bad? It's just it's, so. What is it? Is it the acting? Is it the dubbing? What is it? Well, I, I'm not doing the dubbing anymore because of the subtitles. So it, to me, it's the acting. It is the 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 actual dialogue is very hollow. It's very surface level. Where well, what's there's the plot. The, the so the plot is it's like a Korean Hunger Games almost where the plot is all these people and it, it's it, it's not even that creative it, it's the money is the root of all evil right and essentially this is what right. it is that that money whether you don't have it and you're in a lot of debt or you have a lot of it and you want more of it at some form is evil and can hurt you in a variety of ways but if you could put everybody on equal footing what would happen and so this is a thing where I'm guessing, and I don't know for sure yet, because we're only, I think we're five or six episodes and there's nine episodes, that there's some super rich guy who just gets off on watching this. So the premise is they go to all these people who have massive debt, who are down on their luck, who, you know, some of them are terminally ill. Some of them are in like the Yakuza or something, you know, that are having falling outs and they contact them and they do these silly little things. And it's basically like, hey, you know, we, we can offer you an opportunity and man, I have to do the conversion on my phone every time to talk about it. Cause Koreans money, <laughs> their money is called won. Oh, it's spelled W O N. Like, like we have the dollar, they have the won. Right. And so on the show, they're telling you, we have an opportunity you for you to win billions and billions of won. And I'm like, damn, okay. Well, then you find out that converts to like a couple million us dollars or whatever, but still a lot of money at stake. 
So what it is, is these people volunteer. They are not kidnapped. They are not forced to do this. They volunteer to go along. They get put to sleep and they wake up and they're in like this prison thing. And they find out that they are going to play a series of games and they're childhood games. Like the first game is red light, green light. (laughs) Okay. And so the thing of it is, is that if you lose, they kill you. Oh, whoa, whoa. And so in red light, green light, they go green light and you have a set amount of time to reach like the end line. And then when it says it's this giant creepy looking doll and it turns around and goes red light. And if you move after it says red light, they have snipers that shoot you in the head. (laughs) so it shows everybody getting shot and i'm like i mean i guess this is really violent to people i don't know right 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 like to me people are just getting shot you're not getting stuffed in an arby's sliced for meat you know you're not getting melted and and shot in the head is an instant kill yeah and some and sometimes like like, one guy they shot in the shoulder and he died i was like what are what but anyway (laughs) i'm just saying and so it's a bunch of little kids games like that now it has gotten better as it's gone along but I always think, to me, as popular as this show is and as, as many people are trying to say this is great, it's, I, I almost wonder if you've seen actual great television. Well, there's a point, man. There, there's a good point there. And it, it, well, you know, I don't know, man. Some people, uh, they're not as deep. They just want to be entertained. And it's not as deep in terms of the script being hollow or something like that. They just want blood and guts, and they're cool with it. See, and that's the thing is that there's hard, there's not enough blood and guts. Uh, like, I mean, a lot of the okay, time, now, th- there this. are a few scenes as it goes along, but like the first couple of games, I'm just like, I mean, I get that for a lot of people, it could be very shaking to watch somebody get shot in the head. Yeah, I was gonna say, what do you think the appeal to the show is? I I think it is it's it's very violent. I, I think it's because like okay. wow, and and I I think it's like how far would you go to erase your massive debt, or how far would you go to make money, in in all these different things, and you know there's. Also, and you won't like it because of this. There is one game, and I won't get too far into it if you haven't seen it. But there's one game, and the lady friend is like, oh no, and and I was like, they're not gonna die. Literally, the six main characters are all on the same team. I mean, if they die in this game, then the whole show's over. You know what I mean? And so, You're right. I ain't going to like that. Right. And, and so some of it is so obvious that they're not going to kill off certain people. I was like, maybe at the end they do, but they, they can't early on in the show because then, the, like, literally the six storylines they've chosen to tell are all these people that are, you know, they kill all the people you don't know anything about, so there's no attachment to them. You don't care if these other people die. Well, see, maybe that's part of the thing. You got to care that people die. Um, you know, I, I always go back to the first time I saw that, man, really, was on uh, Dexter. In one of those episode seasons, two or three, where Rita, Dexter's girlfriend, he's, you know, he's Dexter's the serial killer. He's living this quasi-normal life. Yeah. I mean, as you can be being a serial killer, he starts dating, you know, this woman who's got a couple kids. And the last episode, she winds up dead in the bathtub. And I'm like, yep. how the hell did they kill her? Like, I never saw that coming. Like, how could she die? Oh, my God. What a great show. If they'll kill her, they'll kill anybody. And then I was done. I was hooked. Yeah, man. And, and you know, that is part of it. I just, I don't know. I, I, I've been trying to figure out the appeal. To me, it's like guilty pleasure television. Like, it's not that good. It's something to watch. There is intrigue in the storyline and and some of the things that are happening now that you get into the episode, the fifth and sixth episode. But, I mean, I wouldn't put this, like, in the top 20 television shows of all time. It's not even in the top 20 Netflix shows ever. 
damn. Well, maybe we're in the minority, but we're smarter than everybody. <laughs> I don't know that. that I, I I just and I see a lot of people that have kind of messaged about it when I when I tweeted that out the other day, and I got so many responses about it, and I thought, man, like I I don't know what it. I mean, I literally got forty responses, you know, and and so like like this guy Mike tweeted, he goes, "Don't watch with dubs, watch with subs." So I started doing that. Fair point that everybody said that. I don't think people watch for the script or acting. It's the what if situations that probably intrigue most viewers. Okay. What do you mean? What if? Well, the what if, like, what would you do in this scenario? And what if you had the opportunity, you know, to win? Because again, I mean, it's gotten to a point now where the pot is up, you know, and I think it started like 400 and something people. And now they're down to like 80 because everybody dies playing these games. Right. And so the fewer people that survive the games, the more money that you can win. So, you know, would you play these kids games? And try to figure it out. Some of it's strategy. Some of it's, you know, just being smart about what you're doing and that type of thing. So, I I, I don't know. I, I I don't know. It's interesting. All right. I, you ain't convinced me to watch it, so I'm not. I'll just live vicariously through you. It's hard. It's like D tweeted at me and says, keep going. It's worth it. I promise. Don't I f- make promises you can't keep, D. Allow your disbelief to be suspended for this one. And I thought that was fair. So I don't know. It seems to be like half and half. And I think that there's a lot of intrigue of, but I'm going to tell you this. There's so many, like if if you haven't seen like Ozark, although my parents tried to watch it and they didn't like it, I knew it'd be too dark for them, you know, but somebody was like, you know, this is not on the, this, this is an insult to people who write high quality stuff and, and act and develop depth of character to compare this to anything like Breaking Bad or The Sopranos. What somebody yeah, tried man. to do is like, you are out of your mind. <laughs> like literally, dude, stop. Seriously. And, and I will say like you, I, I enjoy you, this, the television shows on Netflix. Right. Season three, we finally knocked it out. It wrapped up. Uh, hmm? I know it started crazy. Did it end? How did it end up? It got to a point where they did what they needed to. And it's almost like I think they're giving themselves an opportunity to perhaps reset everything, which is fantastic because it was starting to get to a point where I was like, okay, I'm, I'm going to, I might be done with this show. And then it came back around and the last two or three episodes got a lot more back into what made the seat, the first season really good. Oh, and they, they set it up for what I think could be a very, very good season four. All right. That's good. That's good. So there's hope. There is hope. There's always hope. But that's a little look at the peep show. So we got to get into a little college football conversation here. Hell yeah. And what goes better with college football than beer? I don't know. That is a, I can't wait to see you drink a beer with that, <laughs> like that. Yeah, you sound like a, a giant cat trying to suckle milk. Jeez. But yes. <laughs> You know what? Go to Beer Geek Shop and see if they've got a beer and be like, hey, Jacques made this noise and see what Deidre can do for you. That's Ross. I pushed the wrong side effect button. My bad. So make that happen. Beer Geek Shop in downtown Rockwell. This is it, guys. Their final week for the Jam Session Six Pack. After this Sunday, it will no longer be available. The Jam Session Six Pack available at Beer Geek Shop in downtown Rockwall, right off the square. Six beers for $19.99. Two fantastic pumpkin beers and a beer from the newest brewery in Rockwall called Siren Rock. Their Oktoberfest is in there. Got a couple of hazy IPAs. Yeah, brother. As we have mentioned, Beer Geeks has been with us for multiple years. 
and they are building towards something bigger and will not be able to sponsor the podcast anymore. So this is it. This is really your final chance to get on over there and score that jam session six pack. It's a really good one too. No, man, it's, it's a great six pack because it is. If you're a veteran of craft beer, there's some taste things in there, man, that you might not have tried, and you, especially the pumpkin beers, that you might be like, oh, my God, let me delve into this genre of beer. I don't know if I said that right. And if you're a novice, then it's great because it's exploratory. You can try a bunch of different styles and flavors and see if you want where, where you want to start your craft beer journey. And then there's always Deidre, man. She's fantastic if you're a novice to craft beer about trying to get a feel for your palate, the taste that you like, and sending you to beer that fits those. She's a genius at it. And, uh, you know, I've, she's never recommended a beer that I didn't go, wow, that was pretty good. And y'all know that I ain't been no beer drinker until Matt McLaren turned me way into one. That's very true. Make it happen. It's Jason and Deidre. It's local. It's family-owned. They're awesome people. They've really supported us hardcore for a long time. So support these guys. It's Beer Geeks Shop and also online at beergeeksshop.com. Right there in Rockwall. Check them out. College football, man. College football is wild ass, as we know. Another five ranked teams lost this week, which is fantastic because there weren't any ranked on ranked matchups. It was five ranked teams losing to five unranked teams. One of them, I have to say, and this is, you know, you always, the people point you out and they say, like, they'll say stuff to me like, oh, you said Oklahoma was going to whip the shit out of Kansas and they barely won. Ah. Where's my credit for saying that Iowa State was going to upset an unranked, unranked Iowa State was going to beat number eight Oklahoma State that I said flat out that would happen. And then guess what? One guy goes, well, Iowa State was favored. I said, unranked, unranked over ranked. Why did you think that? Because I don't think Oklahoma State is that good. Iowa State's been playing a lot better lately. Iowa State has the best defense in the Big 12. And if you look offensively, they've been playing a lot better. I think it's Iowa State, for whatever reason, they lost to Iowa early in the season. It's people like, oh, well, they can't do anything. And then they lost barely to Baylor. And Baylor's a solid team this year. And they dropped out of the top 25. And everybody thought all of a sudden Iowa State was trash. Which I thought was strange. Not at all. No. That's not the case. No. And, and. You know, Baylor is solid. We're going to find out about them. And I think, actually, we may find out a lot more about Texas this weekend because they play each other. I think Baylor is better than what we've seen from Texas. But Texas has more talent. So this is going to be an interesting matchup. But the Big 12 is fascinating to me because of what OU is doing. They They escaped Kansas. Kansas is trash. Kansas is one of the worst teams in the FBS and they took Oklahoma into the fourth quarter. That's inexcusable. Oklahoma's 8-0. Five right. of their wins have come by seven or fewer points. They're, they're, they know how to win, and you get credit for that. But when you face better clubs, better teams, if, you, if they were to get into the playoff, I think they would be exposed. Well, I have a hard time believing because I still haven't played the three best teams in the Big 12 they close the season with Baylor, Iowa State, and Oklahoma State. I don't, don't think they're winning all three. No, I don't. I think they're going to lose a game. And then, like I've tried to explain to people, when I say that winning barely, if you win out and you're undefeated, then great. Doesn't matter. If they lose one game, all these close games are going to bite them in the ass. They will not be in the playoff. All right. That's just reality. I got you. But yeah, this has been a fascinating season. And then, of course, for you tech fans, 
the savior, the guy who everybody thought was going to come in and get that program back to where it was supposed to be, which I don't even know what that means, but Texas Tech fires Matt Wells two and a half seasons into the job, 13 and 17 at Tech. Oddly enough, he was five and three this year when they decided to fire him, but their final four games are all are the four games against the four best teams in the conference. So they're going to finish five and seven. That will be their sixth consecutive losing season at Tech. See, man, they thought, they, you know, they thought it was time to get rid of Leach. <laughs> Maybe it wasn't. Um, you know, bro, I think with Texas Tech, the thing that made Texas Tech interesting for several years was they had a real identity. You know what I'm saying? Okay, y'all might beat us. We might only go eight and four, seven and five. We're gonna put up in our run fun and gun system or whatever they called it. We're going to put up forty nine points and six hundred yards. You see if you can match us. And it made it fun and exciting yeah. football. And even if you lost, everybody went and had a beer. Said, "Can you believe that? We almost got them boys. We almost got them. We had them scared to death." And that was enough because they're gonna. And then you know every every year they're gonna upset somebody. You just hope it's not you. And uh, you're going to play some instant classics because the score is going to be 70 to 63. But you can live with that because everybody knows Texas Tech football, what we all about. Now, they're just a nondescript, mediocre program like everybody else. They ain't got no identity. Yeah, it's very true. And, and now they have to go about finding somebody that can come in there and do, I mean, even quite honestly, what Cliff Kingsbury couldn't do. I mean, That's- they were below average when Kingsbury was there. I, I kind of thought that the hire of Matt Wells, and, and you and I both talked to that dude at Big 12 Media Days a couple of years ago, and he was very motivational, I thought, very intense. But it yeah. was an odd hire because he was he's not a Texas guy. Nope. You know, he had spent years out there at Utah State. He had really spent a lot of time in the western part of the country. He was up at Tulsa for a while. But Texas Tech is one of those programs to me that if I was them, I would pick up the phone, I'd call Sonny Dykes at SMU and make him say no to me. Now, I don't know if Sonny Dykes has, wants to leave SMU. He, he, you know, he had originally, when he started coaching, he, he was at J.J. Pierce years ago in Richardson. He's very familiar with the Dallas area. He's having success at SMU, but SMU's not a Power 5 conference team. Texas Tech is. Yeah, but I'm just saying from my perspective... I don't care about that because, I mean, I'm just saying if I'm Sonny, I don't care about that because Texas Tech ain't winning no national championship, you know. And it, even if I, even if that was on my list of things to do, frankly, um, you know, I have a chance. I, I just think that Texas Tech is a middle-of-the-rung average program. It's never going, well, I don't know. What conference are they in now that A&M and uh, Well, they're, they're still in the Big 12. Yeah, and the Big 12 without A&M and, and, and Texas ain't – I mean, who cares about the Big 12 once 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 they're officially gone? Like, I don't think it's any better than the conference that he's in right now. It probably won't be. But then again, the American Athletic Conference is a conference he's in, which has Cincinnati's UCF and Houston. And those are the three teams about to leave to go to the Big 12. And yeah. of course, that that big merge that the AAC just did where they stole six teams from Conference USA. <laughs> right. And so that's going to get interesting there. The reality of it is, unless they vote differently, right now the Big 12 is still going to remain a Power 5 conference, which gives them power that the Group of Five doesn't have. Yeah, I mean, I get that. It just, that particular job, unless he has some ties because his dad was there and all of that, 
It just seems like a lateral move, man. And I don't want to make a lateral move. Now that I've got SMU where I want it, and it's all good. The other coach that I would pick up the phone and call, and there's a couple more if I'm a tech guy, I would immediately call Jeff Trailer. And for those of you wondering who the hell Jeff Trailer is, he's the guy who is currently the head coach at UTSA. He went 7-5 and five last year in year one at UTSA. He currently has them undefeated and in the top 25 for the first time in that school's history. Now, what's really interesting about this is that UTSA is one of those schools that's leaving Conference USA and coming over to the AAC, same conference as SMU. He is all kinds of Texas. He was born in Gilmer. He played and went to college at SFA, Sex, Fun, and Alcohol. He's, he coached between Big Sandy, Jacksonville, and Gilmer. He coached wow. at the high school level of Texas for almost 30 years. That dude is entrenched in what it takes in being able to walk in and understand Texas college or Texas high school football at the level that Texas Tech recruits at. That is a guy that I would give serious hardcore consideration to. Nope, oh, sounds like it. He's only sounds 53 like years old. He just jumped to the college ranks not that long ago because he did a couple of years as the tight ends coach at Texas and then went to SMU for a year. He was at Arkansas for a year, and now he's been at UTSA for a couple of years. And then, you know what? Kendall Bryles is going to get somebody. Somebody's going to call Kendall Bryles. He's the offensive coordinator at Arkansas. He's been doing wonders there with Sam Pittman. He's never been a head coach, and I wonder if Tech would want a guy like that. I don't think you want him as your first guy. That's not directly affiliated with the program like Kingsbury was. Well, I mean, you, you know, you go to Art Brow's route, so he's been around just because his old man. Was right, there, yeah. I mean, he was obviously. I mean, more yeah. like, I don't know that if I'm tech, based off the experience I just had with Wells, that I want a first-time head coach. Because a first-time head coach, just because you're a first-time head coach, you're going to make some mess-ups. And I don't, and you know, if, you, if you're Kirby Hocutt and you're hiring him, you're like, okay, how many coaches did I get to hire before they fire me? Yeah, and, and again, I mean, I, I get it because that's pretty much what they did with Cliff Kingsbury, who was a first-time head coach when he took over at Tech, but he had been around. Now, he hadn't been in that position at at Texas Tech, but having been familiar with the program from having played there, I think gave him a, a leg up. I wouldn't be surprised if, and I don't know if Kendall Browse will be into this. There's, there's some programs that are going to be open that'll be interesting, but Seth Luttrell may be on the way out at North Texas, and I wonder if North Texas would be able to pull in somebody like Seth Luttrell. I mean, uh, Cl- uh, Kendall, Kendall Bryles. That's, yeah. a, that's a much better place to try to get the job. Yeah, where you go there and you do your two, three years or whatever, and then you make the right. jump up to a right. bigger program. Yeah, that makes more sense to me. Plus, you know, North Texas, he played at Stephenville and all that stuff. So, you know, you got a name around here. Yeah, so it, 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 it's interesting. We'll, we'll see how it plays out, but that's how it looks. As far as the rest of college football goes, it, it's obvious, and I've stated this multiple times, Georgia's the best team in the country. It's not close. They're doing this with their backup quarterback. When JT Daniels gets healthy, he's better than Stetson Bennett. Right, the Southern gentleman. That's right. Then you have, for two and three, I mean, I get Nobody the sense. Thinks- Nobody thinks Cincinnati could line up with Alabama and no. stay within two touchdowns. Or Ohio State. Those, to me, Georgia, Alabama, and Ohio State are the three best teams in the country. I will be surprised. Now, Michigan can run the ball. 
I don't think they have the offense to keep up with Ohio State this year, and I don't I don't think that Michigan State's going to be able to get Michigan State's better than people think. I actually think Michigan State will beat Michigan this weekend. Well, Michigan State they did the right approach, man, and they did the twenty they did the approach that you got to take in college football this year. I just got the job. I got a solid team. I'm going to the transfer portal and give me a good team, <laughs> and that's what uh, that's what their coach did. They've got a lot of transfers in, making big-time uh, contributions, and that's going to be a big one, a good one, with Michigan State and Michigan this week. Yeah, it is. And, and so then you kind of see the Big Ten that's got to go through all this, but the way Ohio State's been playing lately, man, I, I think that they win the Big Ten with the one loss, and after all this carnage, Georgia and Ohio State are definitely going to get in, I think. And then the key is going to be, can Alabama beat Georgia in the SEC title game? Because they, they won't get in if they lose because they're not going to put a two-loss team uh, in there. I would say Ohio State is doing – they got a little bit of the Cowboys in them offensively, meaning they really do have so many weapons on offense that they don't have to force the ball to anybody. And, and when I talk about the Cowboys, is their defense is not great. But the last, since the Oregon debacle, they've been good enough – and their offense has been so good that if they just get a stop or two in the first half, you're all of a sudden down 14, 17. You got to abandon your game plan. And then they then you know they just come after you. And so uh, they haven't put together a, a deal like this in a minute where they were this dominant, even over, over some questionable competition. But the season starts now with Penn State, Michigan State, and Michigan sometime in the next four or five weeks. Yeah, I mean, it's there's a lot of that. This is a very backloaded season just because of kind of the way it's played out, even with Cincinnati. You know, if SMU gets past Houston this week, there's a very good chance that they're going to be playing Cincinnati undefeated in November, and that'll be another that? test for Cincinnati to get past. How about that? But I'm keep in mind, SMU? yeah, that, that'll be something interesting. We'll, we'll see how it goes. I mean, we're recording this on Tuesday, the 26th, next Tuesday night, November 2nd is those first playoff committee rankings, and that will tell us a lot about what they actually think of Cincinnati and the realist, the realistic possibilities of Cincinnati getting in this thing. So we'll see. Thanks for listening to the Jam Session podcast. Make sure to find us on Instagram at Jam Session Cast. Of course, you can also find us on Twitter at McMatt Radio and at JJT underscore journalist. Our podcast is sponsored by Greening Law, a personal injury law firm in Dallas, Texas. Greening Law fights the legal battle so you'll have time for healing and renewal. Give them a call at 972-934-8900. Greening Law, Office, Dallas, Texas. Also brought to you by Hector Flores with Modern Woodman of America. Let him help you secure your family's future. You can give him a call at 940-453-3490. As always, thanks to Purple Elephant Music for the music you hear at the end and the beginning of each episode. He, of course, is the radio, TV, and now podcast star, the sexy Jean-Jacques Taylor. And me, I'm just a guy, Matt McLaren. We'll catch you next time right here on the Jam Session Podcast, available everywhere you listen to podcasts.